Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. Today we're going to talk about the supernatural events that took place as recorded by Matthew in his gospel, the miraculous events associated with the crucifixion of our King Yahushua HaMashiach. So we'll answer the question, were the supernatural events that occurred during the crucifixion of Christ is it literal or is symbolical? Because there are some who say it is symbolical or metaphorical, standing for something else that it did not actually happen. And so we're going to answer that question. And also, do they have any spiritual significance? Of course, you probably already know the answer to that question because everything in the Holy Scriptures has spiritual significance. So let's go ahead and take a look at the events that accompany the crucifixion of our Lord Yahushua Christ. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, 45 to 46, 50 to 53, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. When about the ninth hour, Yahushua cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Yahushua cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So these were the events that took place according to Matthew and the other gospel writers the events associated with the crucifixion of our king, Yahushua HaMashiach. So it begins with darkness over all the land. That's event number one. Then the veil of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. That's event number two. And then the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So this was a massive earthquake. That's event number three. And there were, the graves were open because of the earthquake. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. In other words, this was a resurrection of the dead that accompanied the crucifixion and resurrection of Yahushua. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they even went into the holy city, which is where? Jerusalem, and appeared to many. So these were the events that took place at the crucifixion of our king Yahushua. We believe these are supernatural events with spiritual significance. So we're going to go ahead and tell you the reason why we believe that is the case. These are actual literal events because they are presented in a historical narrative. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they wrote the gospel and when they spoke about the death of Yahushua on the cross, it was done so within the context of history. History means the events that they depicted are literal events, but because of the nature of these events, they are indeed supernatural or miraculous events with spiritual significance. So let's go ahead and take a look at these four events, beginning with darkness covering the land for three hours from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, according to Matthew. According to Mark, when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So he agrees with Matthew that the whole land was covered with darkness for three hours. And according to Luke, he adds a, this, uh, a detail 
that makes it quite distinctive. In Luke 23, 44 to 45, it was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And so according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there was darkness over the whole land beginning at the sixth hour, and this darkness lasted until the ninth hour. Take note, it's not supposed to be dark at this point. It's supposed to be still light or daylight, but for some reason, there's darkness over the whole land. The sun's light began to fail. This is why this is a supernatural event. However, there are those who propose that there's a natural explanation for all of this. And so what are possible natural explanations? Some might say perhaps because of the earthquake, there was a storm that occurred. Indeed, that is possible. It is possible to have a dust storm, right? And it can cover the sun's light. However, although storms, storms can create temporary darkness, they don't cause the sun to fail. And none of the historical descriptions of this event, biblical, biblical or secular, mention a storm or even rain. Furthermore, uh, these kinds of storms cannot conceal the light of the sun for three hours. So it's not likely the event that caused this darkness for a span of three hours, this mysterious darkness is caused by a storm. Another proposition is that it was caused by an eclipse. It is also impossible. Remember, eclipses can cause darkness, but only for about a minute or so, right? A few minutes, but not for three hours. And history is clear. Yahushua was crucified on the 14th of Aviv during the Passover. And Passovers occur on full moons, making an eclipse impossible because the moon was on the far side of the earth. It's away from the sun. This is why the lunar eclipse is impossible. That is not the explanation that can describe what happened when there's darkness over the whole land for three hours. Now, where is this event that took place, the darkness over uh, the whole land that happened during the crucifixion over King Yahusha, was it only described by the gospel writers? In other words, is it only in the biblical record that we find this history? outline for us today. Actually, no. One of the fascinating things about this event is it's described not just by Bible writers, but even secular writers, writers who oppose Christianity. For example, there's a famous historian who lived in 50 AD. So he lived during the days of Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter. He was not a Christian. He was a Greek historian. His name was Thales. It was he wrote from around the year 50 AD. So contemporaries with the apostles, many of Thales's writings from the fall of Troy did not survive, but some accounts from the third century did. Those which survived were passed down to the Byzantine Empire. An interesting fact about Thales was that he knew and wrote about Yahusha's death before many of the gospels did. This is why there are some who call him the first writer to write about Christianity, although when he wrote about Christianity and when he wrote about this darkness over the whole land at the time of Yahushua's crucifixion, when he wrote about that, he was giving an explanation 
And in his explanation, he called it an eclipse. This is why when other writers of history, when they cite Thales, they kind of give their commentary on Thales giving an explanation for what caused the darkness. And so Thales, when he gave the explanation, he said what caused the darkness was an eclipse. And so even though his explanation is wrong, the fact that there was darkness is proven by, he, by the fact that he wrote about it. And so when scholars begin to contemplate and when they begin to argue about what caused the darkness simply means there was really darkness that took place. You get it? And so according to some of the scholars and defenders of Christianity who referenced the work of Thales, like Julius Africanus, a famous historian, this is what he had to say. Thales, in his third book of histories, explains away the three hours of darkness as an eclipse of the sun. So he talked about the dark. He did not deny the darkness that took place. He just gave an explanation that it was an eclipse because he did not want to accept the fact it was supernatural, that it came from Yahuwah to testify about Yahushua. And so for the Hebrews, uh, for the Hebrews celebrate the Passover on the 14th day of the moon and the passion of our savior falls on the day before the Passover, but an eclipse of the sun takes place only when the moon comes under the sun. And it cannot happen at any other time, but in the interval between the first day of the new moon and the last of the old, that is at their junction. How then should an eclipse occur when the moon is almost diametrically opposite the sun? So according to Julius Africanus, who had the original manuscripts of Thales, and he read the works of Thales, and he's making a commentary on the work of Thales about his description of what happened when Yahushua was crucified. And in his explanation, it was, it was not supernatural. It was caused by an eclipse. Julius Africanus is correcting him because he's saying, no, his explanation is wrong. It could not be an eclipse. So Julius Africanus, the historian, is attesting to the reliability of the work of Thales. And it was not just Julius Africanus who cites um, Thales, but many others as well. Another uh, scholar and historian who is not a Christian who wrote about the darkness when Yahushua was crucified is one by the name of Flay, Flagon of Tralis. Again, he was a Greek writer and he lived in the second century AD, early in the second century. One of his famous works is the Olympiads. And according to this work, the Olympiads, Leon writes in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad. So he's a Greek writer. He's writing about the Olympiads. According to the uh, Hellenic month established for Athens, according to their calendar, when is this fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad? Well, the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad was about 32 to 33 AD, which corresponds to the year of the death of our king, Yahushua. And so Plagon writes that on the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was a great eclipse of the sun. Again, their explanation of what happened was an eclipse because they're trying to figure out what happened. Something happened. And they're all trying to figure out what happened. 
And the, their best explanation, because they did not believe in Yahusha, is it must have been a natural explanation or an eclipse, the great eclipse of the sun, greater than had ever been known before. For at the sixth hour, he even says when it happened, the sixth hour, the day was changed into night. It was dramatic in its effect because look at what he says. And the stars were seen in the heavens. And an earthquake occurred in Bithynia and overthrew a great part of the city of Nicaea. We'll talk about that a little later, but our focus right now is the darkness that happened at the crucifixion. So here, Phlegon describes an event that took place on the fourth year of the 202nd Olympia. He's not specific as to the exact date. But when we do the calculations, it corresponds to the crucifixion of our King Yahushua. There was darkness on what hour? The sixth hour. And so he was very specific about the time of day, the sixth hour. And so the day changed into night. Now, Phlegon uh, was a famous historian, a famous scholar, and many other writers that went after him cites many of his works. An example is Philippon, according to Philippon, and about this darkness, Phlegon recalls it in the Olympians. Again, these writers have the, the actual text in their hands when they're writing and commenting about what they wrote about in the past. And so here's Philippon. He mentioned the eclipse, which took place during the crucifixion of the Lord Christ, and no other eclipse. It is clear that, that he did not know from his sources about any similar eclipse in previous times. And this is shown by the historical, historical account of Tiberius Caesar. And so Philippon, again, another secular historian, he is now citing Phlegon. And again, he is bringing to light Phlegon's explanation. What caused the darkness again? It was the eclipse. He further cites that this took place during the time of Tiberius Caesar. Julius Africanus even wrote, Phlegon records that in the time of Tiberius Caesar, at full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth, manifestly the one of which we speak. And so Julius Africanus also referencing Phlegon and his records and writings that this darkness, which was explained as caused, being caused by an eclipse, took place from the sixth hour to the ninth. And so when we look at historical records, besides the gospel records, other historians mention and they record the event of the darkness that took place when Yahushua was crucified on a Passover. Philippon, Julius Africanus, Joannes Philipponus, Malelus, Origen, Eusebius, and Maximus all affirm Plagon's account of the darkness. So there are many extra biblical accounts of the darkness that took place when Yahushua was crucified. So one thing we know for sure, when you have all these independent sources kind of lining up and telling us it actually happened to the point that they were trying to come up with explanations only prove the event actually happened. There was darkness that covered the whole land when Yahushua died. An interesting fact and an interesting reference work that we uh, can look, look upon and look and study is what is called the letters 
of Pilate's letters to Tiberius Caesar. Fourth century records from the early church fathers include the letter of Pontius Pilate, which he wrote to the Roman emperor concerning Christ. Well-known historian Justin Martyr even referenced these records. Justin Martyr was an early Christian apologist who lived from AD 100 to AD 165. And so he was, he lived around during the time of the early followers of Yahusha, even probably mingled with Polycarp, a disciple of our Lord Yahusha the Christ. And so he references this letter of Pontius Pilate. And according to the letter of Pontius Pilate, um, he says, when he was giving a record to Tiberius Caesar, the emperor, because when Yahusha began his ministry, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, Tiberius Caesar, of course, was the one who was the emperor at that time. So at the time, he was crucified. So Pontius Pilate is giving a, a, a report of what happened because he was in charge of, of that jurisdiction of where the crucifixion happened. And so he's giving a report to uh, the emperor. And he says, and at the time, he was crucified, there was darkness over all the world, the sun being darkened at midday, and the stars appearing, but in them there appeared no luster, and the moon, as if turned into blood, failed in her light, and in that terror, dead men seen that had risen, as the Jews themselves testified, and the fear of the earthquake remained from the sixth hour of the preparation until the ninth hour, and so in this letter of Pontius Pilate, which somehow survived and it's, it's being housed and protected by the Catholic Church, by the, the Roman Empire, we know that something happened because Pontius Pilate in his record, when he was giving an explanation to the emperor, describes the crucifixion with an event called darkness over all the world, the sun being darkened at midday. And so this was in the fourth century AD. Not only that, we also have Tertullian, a jurious consul familiar with the Roman archives, wrote in AD 197, at the same moment, about noontime, the day was withdrawn. And they who knew not that this was foretold concerning Christ thought it was an eclipse. So Tertullian, another historian, writes about it. And Eusebius in AD 315 writes about it again. Yahusha Christ underwent his passion on the 18th year of Tiberius. Also at that time, in another Greek compendium, we find an event recorded in these words. The sun was eclipsed. Bithynia was struck by an earthquake. And in the city of Nicaea, many buildings fell. And so even in the fourth century, we started with the gospel record, right? And then we went to the first century historians, second century historians, fourth century historians, even the sixth century AD. We find accounts, for example, the historian Cassidorus wrote, our Lord Yahushua Christ suffered and an eclipse. The, little, the literal translation is a failure or a desertion of the sun occurred such as never was before or since because it lasted for three hours. It was very dramatic because you went from noontime to nighttime within instantaneously. And so this was a dramatic event. And their explanation, because they did not believe in Yahusha, is it was an 
eclipse. But we know scientifically it is impossible that it is it was an eclipse. This is why we conclude this event, which is a reliable historical event, is not a natural event, but a supernatural one. Now, how about the temple, uh, the temple veil being torn in half? But what is this temple veil? And what is its significance? In Matthew 27, 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. And so when Yahushua was crucified, another event that took place was the veil, the curtain on the temple, was torn in two, right? Now, what is this veil all about? What is this curtain? It is the curtain that divides the holy place from the most holy place. Remember, in the temple, there's a place called the tabernacle. The priests would go to the tabernacle to perform their services to worship Yahuwah. And so they would burn sacrifices. They would light up the, the altar of incense. They would bring in the fire. And so this process of sacrifice, this process of worship involved the tabernacle. The tabernacle had two parts, the holy place and the most holy place. And so the most holy place and the holy place was separated by a veil, a curtain. And only the high priest can go through the curtain. Something happened at the crucifixion of our King Yahushua. The veil, the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And so perhaps Yahuwah used the earthquake to tear the veil apart into two. And so here's an example of what it probably looked like. So that's the separation between the holy place and the most holy place. You have the veil or the curtain. Recent archeological discoveries reveal uh, that the temple in Jerusalem, if we were go to go there today, we can look at the excavation site where the temple used to stand and we can examine the rubble and find certain things which are very, very informative. For example, we can find a temple in Jerusalem during King Herod's reign did in fact have a huge east-facing curtain, a veil that was suspended on the eastern lintel in front of metal doors marking the entry of the holy place. An earthquake evidently displaced the temple's lintel, tore the curtain, and shifted the pivots for the middle doors. If you were to go there today in Israel, Jerusalem, we can find the remnants of the destroyed temple. And there are some people, if you can see on the top, right, looking into probably some uh, people from the United States, like maybe some of us are going to go there soon, if it's possible, right, to go to Jerusalem. And we can look at this excavation. And here's an example of the lintel from the temple that was found. And so this tells us that, in fact, this occurred. So that was the temple veil torn in half. How about the massive earthquake? Because according to Matthew 27, verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Now, take note. I mean, earthquakes happen all the time, right? There's always an earthquake somewhere in the world. Perhaps you did not feel, but maybe there was an earthquake today. It's very possible there was an earthquake today. You just did not feel it. But earthquakes happen all the time. But sometimes there are earthquakes that are so powerful, they leave an imprint on the rocks. 
right? They live, they leave an imprint, a geological imprint that today people can discover and conclude on this year, there was this big earthquake that took place. For example, according to the International Geology Review, there was a great earthquake that took place in Jerusalem. And when they looked at the rocks and the sediment formation of certain rocks in the Dead Sea, they figured out there was a great earthquake that took place around 3180 plus and minus five years. And those who conducted the study uh, were William Jefferson, Schwab, Marcus, Brower, and they discovered there was a great earthquake that took place when they studied the cores from the beach there in the Dead Sea. Varves, which are annual layers of deposition in the sediments, because when you examine the sediments of some of the formation there at the Dead Sea, you, you will notice certain patterns. When a massive earthquake hits, like 8.2 on the Richter scale, it leaves a very significant pattern, a mark, because of the way the layers are formed when and during the earthquake. So when they examined the layers, they found two major earthquakes that affected the core, one in 31 BC, which is corroborated by many historical writings, and another one between the years 26 and 36 AD. Okay, so there was a significant earthquake that took place. So significant, it left a mark on the layers, the cores from the beach there at the Dead Sea. And because of these studies, many geologists, they wanted, they began to look deeper into these, the earthquake that was associated with the death of King Yahusha. And there's a movie that you can download. It's called The Christquake. And they present to you scientific evidence, very detailed scientific evidence that when Yahusha died, there was a great earthquake that took place. So geologists, scientists are conducting various studies to look at the earthquake that can be demonstrated from the study of these geological formations. But this brings us also not just to the scientific uh, part of discovering this earthquake, but also kind of connecting it to the historical accounts, which we've already discussed. For example, from Phlegon uh, of, Tra uh, of Trallis, when he wrote about the darkness, if you notice in his book, Olympiads, he mentions on the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, we talked about this earlier about the darkness, but he also mentioned at the bottom part, he says an earthquake occurred in Bithynia and overthrew a great part of the city of Nicaea. Do you know where Bithynia and Nicaea are located? They're located in Turkey. And so here's a map of Nicaea and Jerusalem. And the distance between Nicaea and Jerusalem is about 600 miles. And so if there was an earthquake that was felt in Jerusalem, and it was also felt in Nicaea, so powerful, it devastated the whole city of Nicaea because that's what um, the historian wrote about. Many historians wrote about the earthquake that destroyed Jerusalem, the earthquake that destroyed also Bithynia and Nicaea. That's a powerful earthquake. Just for reference, Nicaea 
in Western Turkey is approximately where the city of Bursa is. Bursa is approximately 600 miles from Jerusalem. And LA is about 380 miles from San Francisco, just to kind of compare. I mean, that's like twice as much, right? And so if you had an earthquake in LA and you felt it here in San Francisco, that's a powerful earthquake, right? This earthquake would have been massive to be felt in Israel and Turkey at the same time. Think of the catastrophe. It is believed to be an 8.2 magnitude earthquake. So the historical records and the geological records are matching up. And they tell a story of a massive earthquake that took place when the sun was darkened on the day when Yahushua was crucified. And so the confluence of events tell us Yahuwah wants to give a message about what happened on the day when Yahushua was crucified. And so that was the massive earthquake. But most dramatic of all is what happened next, because the Bible records the graves open and the dead began to rise. Now, if we are people of Yahuwah, this should not be quite surprising, because even Elijah became an instrument of God to raise people from the dead. Even Peter rose someone from the dead. Lazarus risen from the dead. And so for the believers of Yahuwah, it's not that uncommon for a person to resurrect from the dead. But when Yahushua died and he resurrected, the Bible says people also resurrected. It doesn't tell us how many, right? But they do tell us there were some people who also resurrected and they even went to Jerusalem, right? And so this is what happened in Matthew 27, 52, 53. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and resurrected. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I wonder what they would have felt, you know, when they saw their dead relatives all of a sudden risen back to life. They probably would believe, right? I believe in Yahushua now because this, I mean, you're alive. That's a miracle, right? I mean, that's powerful evidence, powerful proof for the resurrection of our king, Yahushua. But this event, Outside the biblical record, can we find other historians writing about this event? Well, if we take a look at Ignatius, who wrote between 70 to 115 AD, um, he's a contemporary, of course, of Apostle John. And this is what he writes. He's one of the, the fathers, because remember, after the apostles died, those who were followers of Yahushua were called the so-called apostolic fathers. And so they were the ones who were left behind after the death of the apostles. Therefore, endure that we may be found the disciples of Yahushua Christ, our only master. How shall we be able to live apart from him whose disciples, the prophets themselves in the spirit, did wait for him as their teacher? And therefore, he who they rightly waited for being come raised from the dead. So Ignatius wrote about those who were raised from the dead when he wrote to the Magnesians and also to the Trillians, for says the scripture, many bodies of the, of the saints that slept arose, their graves being opened. He descended indeed into Hades alone, but he rose accompanied by a multitude. So according to Ignatius, he is giving corroboration of that event that actually took place. People who were, who were dead and they rose back to life. 
And that was in the first century, the second century, 120 to 280, Irenaeus. Irenaeus also was closely linked to the New Testament writers. He knew Polycarp, remember Polycarp? Polycarp was one who, because of his love for our king, Yanusha, decided not to engage in emperor worship. And this got him into a lot of trouble, so he died a martyr. Uh, he was a disciple of the apostle John. Irenaeus wrote, he, Christ, suffered, uh, who can lead those souls aloft that followed his ascension. This event was also an indication of the fact that when the holy hour of Christ descended to Hades, many souls ascended and were seen in their bodies. Clement of Alexandria, but those who had fallen asleep descended dead, but ascended alive. Further, the gospel says that many bodies of those that slept arose, plainly having been translated to a better state. You know, we can read about many of the writings of these cult, so-called fathers in the, in the first century, second century, and many other biblical and secular scholars confirm the resurrection event in Matthew chapter 27, including Hilary of Poitiers, Chrysostom, and even St. Augustine, St. Remigius, Thomas Aquinas, and John Calvin, just to mention a few. And so it was not just the biblical writers, but also the writers that went after them who confirmed this resurrection event associated with the resurrection of our king, Yahusha HaMashiach. And so an interesting thing is, if you still remember uh, the letter of Pontius Pilate that was endorsed by Justin Martyr, if you look closely at his letter when he was speaking about the darkness that engulfed the world at the crucifixion, he also mentioned in that same letter and in that terror, dead men were seen that had risen as the Jews themselves testified. And so according to this letter, again, they were not Christians. They did not believe in Christianity. They did not believe in Yahushua. But when they were giving a record to their emperor, they described what they saw, what was, what was testified to by the Jews and others. And one of which, one of the things that they witnessed and recorded was the resurrection of dead men as mentioned in the book of Matthew chapter 27. So we have extra biblical confirmation of the supernatural events associated with the, the crucifixion of our King Yahushua. Number one, darkness covering the land for three hours. Number two, the temple veil torn in half. Number three, the massive earthquake. Number four, graves opening and the dead rising. However, I want you to understand, please, brothers and sisters in the faith, we believe in these supernatural events, even if there were no extra biblical confirmation. We believe what the Bible says, regardless of extra biblical sources. We simply presented them to you as a way of confirming what the Bible has already confirmed. However, even more importantly, which is the second part of our study, we believe, yes, these are supernatural events that took place, but they are supernatural events with spiritual significance. Because if we will read the Bible, process what happened, look at the historicity of the events, and say, I know this event happened because the Bible tells me so, but we miss the spiritual point behind it, then we basically kind of uh, wasted the purpose of why scripture was given to us in the first place, right? We want to know, we want to treasure, we want to mine, 
for the spiritual nourishment that we can gain from the Holy Bible. And so the events that took place, the darkness, the temple veil, the massive earthquake, the grace outfitting, it all points to a spiritual significance, a message that Yahuwah wants us to understand because it's a message of hope, because that's what the scripture is all about. It's a message of hope for all of us. And so let's look at this darkness that covers the land for three hours. I and mean, what could be the spiritual message behind that? Well, let's read the book of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, Yahuwah, made him, his son, Yahusha, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We all know as human beings, we commit sin. And because of sin, according to the law of Moses, we deserve to die, right? And so because of our failure to live a perfect life, we can never be qualified to be righteous unless, of course, we become perfect. And so Yahuwah did something. He made Yahushua, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. So Yahushua was to become sin for us. What else? Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. And so when Yahushua was on the cross, he became sin for us. He became a curse for us that we can become the righteousness of Yahuwah Abba. This is why when Yahushua was on the cross and there was darkness for three hours, what did Yahushua exclaim? Matthew 27 now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Yahusha cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so there's a spiritual significance to that physical darkness. You see, that physical darkness actually happened. But what is important, what we must not miss is the spiritual significance of that darkness. That darkness which took place, which covered the whole land for three hours. What did that depict? It depicted Yahuwah's plan coming to fruition. Yahusha would become what? Sin. Yahusha would become a curse for us. This is why Yahuwah separated himself from Yahusha, which caused Yahusha to declare, my God, my God, why have you? forsaking me. It was part of the plan of Yahuwah and Yahusha. And so the spiritual significance of that event, darkness covering the land for three hours, it points to the message that Yahusha became sin and a curse for us. Well, how about the temple veil torn in half? What is the spiritual significance of that event? Let's read Hebrews 9, 3, 6 to 7, Behind the second curtain was the tent called the most holy place. This is how those things have been arranged. The priests go into the outer tent every day to perform their duties, but only the high priest goes into the inner tent, and he does so only once a year. He takes with him blood, which he offers to God on behalf of himself and for the sins which the people have committed without knowing they were. So this is the arrangement according to the first covenant or the covenant of Moses, right? And that in that covenant, the old covenant, the priests would offer, would perform their duties in 
the holy place. But the high priest, once a year, they were atonement, he would be going into the most holy place, separated by the tent, right? To offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so the holy place, the most holy place, was accessed only by the high priest only once a year, only one person, and only once a year. In the most holy place, that is where you experience the very presence of Yahuwah Abba. That is where you find the power, the presence and power of Yahuwah Abba. But only the high priest can go there. And you, you know that before the high priest would dare enter the most holy place, he would cleanse himself. And he has to be really prepared mentally, spiritually, because if not, if he were to consider this a trivial thing, he would be destroyed. <laughs> Right when he enters into the presence of Yahuwah Abba, because you can't just casually enter the presence of Yahuwah Abba. And so this was a very precarious situation for the high priest. They would be frightened to even go there unprepared. Okay. However, when Yahusha offered himself, what happened? Hebrews 10, 17 and 20. And then he says, I will not remember their sins and evil deeds any longer. The Bible's talking about the new covenant. First covenant. Now, the new covenant by Yahusha. So when these have been forgiven, an offering to take away sins is no longer needed. We have then, my friends, complete freedom to go into the most holy place by means of the death of Yahusha. He opened for us a new way, a living way through the curtain that is through his own body. This is why the spiritual significance of the veil that separates the most holy place and the holy place is the fact that by the death of Yahusha, by sacrificing himself and by means of his blood, our sins are atoned for with eternal redemption. And because of this, what do we now enjoy? Complete freedom. Complete freedom to go into the most holy place before it was only the high priest and only once a year. Now we can enter the most holy place, Yahusha, open. And this is what we need to see, brethren. This is the spiritual significance of that veil being torn in half. It, was, it physically happened. It physically happened. That veil, that curtain really was torn in half. But look at the spiritual significance of that event. What is it communicating to us? The Bible says, Yahusha. When that veil was torn in half, he opened for us a new way, a living way through the curtain. In other words, we now have a way to our father, Yahuwah. That's the spiritual significance of the temple veil torn in half. Yahusha gave us the way to Yahuwah. This is why Yahusha says, I am the way, the truth and the life. You cannot go to the father except through me. He gave us that. When he died on the cross and he shed blood, caused the father to cut the veil from top to bottom to give us that way to himself. How about the massive earthquake? I mean, what could be the spiritual significance of that massive earthquake that accompanied the death of Arcadian Yahusha? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Yahusha, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, we know Yahusha not only died, he suffered for us, right? I mean, he was scourged, crown of thorns was placed upon his head. 
he was speared. And so blood poured out and the blood was poured out which and the death of our King Yahusha, what that gave us is the ability to be drawn near who? Yahuwah, right? So the blood of Yahusha brings us who are far off, who are enemies because of our sins. It brings us near to Yahuwah, to our father. This is what the blood of Yahusha did. Now, how was this done? And what, what did the blood also do, which allows us to be brought near to Yahuwah? In Hebrews 12, 24, take note, you have come to Yahushua who arranged the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that promises much better things than does the blood of Abel. And so what did Yahushua do? He arranged the new covenant. How so? Through his blood. And so because of the new covenant, we can now be close to Yahuwah. What is the purpose of a covenant? The covenant is what Yahuwah gives a people so that that group of people can approach him and become near or close to him to be able to worship him in spirit and truth. That's the purpose of the covenant. It's a way for people to be brought near who? Yahuwah. In the first covenant, did Yahuwah bring himself near his people? Yeah. This was the Mount Sinai event. Remember that one? Remember the Mount Sinai event? When Yahuwah descended to the mountain to be near his people, Israel, he established the covenant with Israel. So that Israel, through the covenant, can relate with him, fellowship with him, and worship him. Yahushua did the same thing. He arranged the new covenant with his blood. When Yahuwah brought himself near his people Israel, do you know what happened? Let's read the book of Hebrews. We read, we read Hebrews 12.4, right? Let's jump to 25. Be careful then and do not refuse to hear him who speaks. Those who refuse to hear the one who gave the divine message on the earth did not escape. How much less shall we escape then if we turn away from the one who speaks from heaven? His voice shook the earth at that time. But now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven as well. The words once more plainly show that the created things will be shaken and removed so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Let us be thankful then because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful and worship God in a way that will please him with reverence and awe because our God is indeed a destroying fire. And so according to Apostle Paul, when he goes back to the first covenant, the one Yahuwah made through Moses with the people of Israel, and then he relates that to the covenant arranged by our King Yahushua, what is the common denominator? Yahuwah bringing himself near his people. In the first covenant, when he appeared to Yahuwah's people, Israel, Bible says his voice shook the earth at that time. You see, when the earth shakes, it's a manifestation of the presence and power of Yahuwah. Now, when Yahuwah manifests his power for those who do not believe, God is indeed a destroying fire. You see the bottom? But for those who believe, it is 
an act of reverence and awe. There's a difference. When Yahuwah reveals his power before people, when he reveals his covenant, if you are with the covenant, then his power brings reverence and awe. You worship Yahuwah. But if you don't believe, if you're not part of the covenant, you don't believe, then Yahuwah's presence becomes like a destroying fire. And so when Yahuwah speaks, when Yahuwah manifests his power, when he spoke, when he established the first covenant, the earth shook. When Yahushua died on the cross to seal the new covenant, guess what also happened? The earth also shook. There was a massive earthquake. What does that point to? What is the spiritual message, the spiritual significance? It tells us that because of the death of our King Yahushua, we now can experience the power and presence of Yahuwah Abba. This is why the massive earthquake that points to the ability, the opportunity for us to experience the power and presence of Yahuwah. Well, how about the graves opening and the dead rising? What is its spiritual significance? Corinthians 15, 20, 22, 24. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. According to Apostle Paul, Yahushua is called the first fruits. Why is he called the first fruits? Because he is the first to be resurrected given a glorious body now when at the crucifixion after Yahushua died and the graves opened up because of the earthquake and many were resurrected they were not resurrected into new bodies because that's not going to happen until Yahushua comes again Yahushua is the first fruits but the manifestation of the resurrection that will come after the first fruits will take place when Yahushua returns. And notice what happens after that. Then comes at the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. In other words, the kingdom shall be established. Where is it going to be established again? Jerusalem, right? You notice in Matthew 27, after the graves were opened up because of the earthquake and the people resurrected, where did they go again? Jerusalem. What is that foreshadowing? What is that pointing to? It's pointing to the return of Yahushua, the resurrection, and eventually the kingdom there in Jerusalem. But it's going to happen in the future time. The resurrection, a time of crucifixion of the people, of the saints, that's simply a foretaste of what is going to happen soon. What is its spiritual significance? Corinthians 15. So when this takes place and the mortal has been changed into the immortal, then the scripture will come true. Death is destroyed. Victory is complete. When death, where death is your victory, where death is your power to hurt, death gets its power to hurt from sin and sin gets its power from the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Yahushua Christ. And so what was the spiritual significance 
of the people resurrecting in Matthew chapter 27. Its spiritual significance is to tell us Yahushua succeeded. He succeeded in defeating and overcoming what? Death. Death has been defeated. Praises be and thanks be to God who gives us victory to our Lord Yahushua Christ. And so brethren, there's really no need for us to be afraid of death. Yahushua has won the victory over death. That's the message of the graves opening up and the dead rising. It's telling us Yahushua, who gave, who was victorious over death, is giving us that victory over death. Because one day, we too, if we are to die, when Yahushua returns, we too shall be resurrected. And when we are resurrected, we will have the same body that Yahushua has, a glorious body, an immortal body, to be able to dwell in the kingdom of heaven. And so these are, these, this is the spiritual significance of the events that took place. The darkness, it tells us Yahushua became sin and the curse for us. The temple veil torn in half, it tells us Yahushua gave us the way to Yahuwah. The massive earthquake, it tells us we experience the power and presence of Yahuwah through our King Yahushua. And the grave's opening tells us Yahushua gives us victory over death. Basically, what we have here, that's depicted in the festivals of Yahuwah. The first three festivals is what we have right here. It's been communicated to us that Yahushua had to become sin. That Yahuwah accepted the sacrifice of Yahushua, which is why the veil was torn in half. And to demonstrate Yahuwah's acceptance, there was the, the earthquake, which shows the presence and the power of Yahuwah. And that power includes power over death. Yahushua resurrected. We too will be resurrected. And so the spiritual significance point back to the purpose of the festivals, which is the resurrection, the death and resurrection of our king, Yahushua. But you know what? We haven't even discussed the best part. <laughs> we told you four supernatural events, but there's actually five. We saved the best for last. You know why? Because when you look at it, you might not say it's a supernatural event. But when you really think about it, it is. Do you know what we're missing? Let's go back to Matthew 27, 45 to 46. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the whole land. And about the ninth hour, Yahushua cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Yahushua cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. But we're not yet finished. There's still verse 54. What does verse 54 say? So when the centurion 
and those with him who were guarding Yahusha. So the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. Centurions and those who were with him, they were converted. You see, brethren, the purpose of the suffering, death, and resurrection of our King Yahusha is to give us the good news. But the good news is too good for us to keep for ourselves. It has to be shared. One of the best and most powerful supernatural events that take that can take place because of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Yahushua is that it changes lives. It has the power to change a life. Look at the centurion. The centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion. When he saw what happened, when Yahushua died, look what they declared. What did they say? Truly, this was the son of God, centurion, a leader of soldiers, one who is brainwashed, indoctrinated to serve the Roman ways. From the, the time they were young, they trained them up to become soldiers. All they know is to serve the, Ro the Roman emperor. But when they saw this, they changed their loyalties. They believed in the Son of God. You see, that's a supernatural event. The power to change a life. That's a supernatural event. And that's something that happens all the time. Not only with the centurion, not only with those with him who also. Take a look at this. Corinthians 15, 3 to 9. I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by more than 500. His followers at one time. Most of them were still alive. Though some have died. Then he was seen by James. And later by all the apostles. Last of all. As though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. You know, after Yahushua died and he resurrected, Yahushua appeared to many witnesses. This is why historians, secular historians, People who don't believe in Christianity. They do not doubt the historicity of Christ and his resurrection. It took place because of so many eyewitnesses. But what is fascinating in this passage is the man who wrote it. Who wrote this passage? Apostle Paul. He says he used to persecute God's church, <laughs> right? But something happened to him, just like the centurion. 
His life changed because of Yahushua. Before, he was a zealot. He had a zeal for persecuting Christians. And after that, his life changed 180. He became the greatest evangelist, apostle, who evangelized so many and wrote most of the New Testament books. You see, the power that Yahushua can make in the life of a person, the centurion, Apostle Paul, who else? Acts 5, 27, 29, having brought the apostles, they made him appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Do you remember Peter before this? When that servant girl said to him on the night Yahushua was arrested, oh, this man, he's a follower of Yahushua. What did Peter do? He denied Yahushua how many times? Not this time. <laughs> this time Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. Was he thrown in jail? Yeah. Eventually he would die for his Savior. Before he was afraid to go to jail for his savior. Now he went to jail for his savior. He took the stripes for his savior. He died for his savior. Yahushua can make a difference in the lives of individuals. This is why when the apostles were arrested, you know what Gamaliel said to them? Acts 5.33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. And so Gamaliel, after the apostles were arrested because they would not refute, they would not stop preaching about Yahushua, Gamaliel tells them, don't kill him because they wanted to kill him because the way Peter stood up and said, we must obey God rather than men. The Jews were furious, furious. They wanted to kill the apostles. Gamaliel said, no, don't do that. And he gave his reasoning as follows. He said, you know, there was a man, his name was Theudas. Brethren, who's Theudas? Everyone's going, I don't know who Theudas is. Precisely. That's the whole point, Gamaliel says. Some time ago, there's this Theudas person. He's claiming to be somebody, right? And there were 400 followers who rallied to him. But after he died, they're all gone. They're all gone. Theudas. And then he goes on. Uh, 37. After him, after Theudas, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, at the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And so Gamelo reasons with the Sanhedrin, don't kill the apostles. Because if what they're doing is not from God, 
eventually it's going to fizzle out. <laughs> it's going to fizzle out because they believe Yahusha already died. That's why you talk about Theudas, uh, Judas, they all died and their movement fizzled out and died. Yahusha, well, he died. They claim he resurrected, but we don't believe that, do we? Then it's going to fizzle out too. So just leave them alone. But if it's really the work from God, there's nothing you can do, right? And so what do you think happened? The apostles, they would eventually die. So Yahusha died and resurrected. The apostles died. The early followers of Yahusha, did they also die? Remember Polycarp? Remember Antipas? They all were martyred. Not only that, the apostles, the early followers of Yahusha, they died because of the hand of Roman emperors. For 250 years after the apostles, the Christians, the followers of Yahusha, they went through severe persecution and many of them were martyred. According to Fox Book of Martyrs, 5 million believers died for Yahusha during this period. Question, would these people die for Yahusha if they did not really believe? If they were not transformed by Yahusha? These people, 5 million people, they could have easily got their life back. All they had to do was accept emperor worship. But when they went through, for example, the Agora Hall, instead of claiming worship, instead of accepting and being loyal to the emperor, they said, I am loyal only to Yahusha, the son of God. And they were happy to be put to death for the sake of their savior. Brethren, how do you explain that? If Yahusha did not really die and resurrect, how do you explain that? See the difference between Yahusha and Theudas, the difference between Yahusha and Judas of Galilee, the difference between Yahusha and other founders of great religions today. If Yahusha did die, but he also resurrected on the third day. And because he has resurrected on the third day, he has conquered death for us all. So when we look at the supernatural events, Matthew 27, the greatest one, the greatest one is not really this. The greatest one is the culmination of all of this. Because when you put all this together, Yahusha becomes the sin for us. Yahusha gives a way to Yahuwah to experience the power and presence of Yahuwah. Yahushua gives us victory over death. All of this put together gives us a great message, the greatest message. You know what that is? It's a great message. It was called a secret. Apostle Paul called it a glorious secret, a mystery. What is that? Colossians 1.27. God's plan is to make known his secret to his people. This rich and glorious secret which he has for all peoples. And the secret is that Christ is in you, which means that you will share in the glory of God. Apostle Peter, the other apostles, 
They were happy to die on the cross. They were happy to die for the sake of the absent. Polycarp, Antipas, the other believers in the first century. They were happy to be thrown in the arena to be devoured by wild beasts for the sake of Yahushua. You know why? Because they felt what it was like to have Yahushua in them. And what Apostle Paul experienced and the others experienced, we can also experience. The secret is Yahushua can be in us. Brethren, if we will not believe this, then what's the point? Yahuwah wants us to understand that he gave his son to suffer and die on the cross. Yahuwah wants us to understand that he resurrected him from the dead so that he can be in us. He can be in us. This is the glorious secret that we need to embrace every day. Just like what Apostle Paul said in the final passage of our studies, Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brethren, every day, let us go before the feet of our King Yahushua and let us leave our old self crucified with Christ. And allow Christ to live in us. That's the best way to live our life. When we let Yahushua, who loved us and gave himself for us, when we let him lead our life, lead and direct our steps, he loves us that much. He wants to guide us. Allow him to live in us. That's the message that Yahuwah wants to impress in our minds and in our hearts. But we simply do not just believe in Yahusha. We let Yahusha in our life. Because once that happens, by the power of Yahuwah, the presence of our Father, we will overcome all things. And eventually, we will overcome even death. Gracious be to our loving Father for the gift of his Son for all of us. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Merciful and loving Yahuwah Abba, thank you for the message you have given us. You have given us every reason to be filled with joy through the suffering and death of your son. We are conquerors over death, yes. conquerors over trial, over suffering, yes. over sicknesses. Yes. We eagerly wait for that day. When you will send your son. Truly we are filled with joy. As we receive this gift. That comes from you. Thank you father. For thinking of us. Thank you. For figuring out a way. That you have allowed us to break through the veil. To break through the curtain. And have fellowship with you. We want to taste fully. Your goodness. To experience your presence. Father, you are a God of miracle. When you speak, the earth trembles. But when you speak to us, our heart rejoices. We want to be in your presence. Not only now, but always. Father, do not depart from us. When we feel you closely, we can overcome all things. 
just like the early Christians, persecuted and hunted like animals. But because of your overwhelming presence, they received their torment with joy because you were with them. Be with us as well. We are also facing trials. We cannot endure without you. Be with us, loving Abba. Surround us with your presence. We believe in your kindness. Forgive us. Forgive us, please, of our sins. Our King, Yahusha. Oh, you are good and kind. You died on the cross thinking of us. You want now to live in us. The glorious secret. We cannot keep this to ourselves. You work to transform the lives of people. Please transform our lives. Transform the lives of our loved ones, our children. Help us to understand just how good we have it. You living in us, loving Mashiach, lead and guide your servants. Help us that we will see your face, that we will see you and hold you, be embraced by you and rejoice in your kingdom. Father, thank you for your blessings, for listening to each and every one of us. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.